We are in a series titled Unimpressed, the cat face, right? Unimpressed, seven reasons why our friends aren't becoming Christians. Tim Keller says that every society has a set of beliefs that get in the way of people hearing the gospel. Uh, defeater beliefs, he calls them. A defeater belief is something that if belief A is true, then the gospel can't be true. And we're going to be looking at seven beliefs that are uh, circulating in our society today held by many that are hindering people from giving the gospel a fair hearing. Here are the seven defeater beliefs we're looking at in this series. Number one, Christians are hypocrites. Number two, there cannot be only one way to God. Three, people must have the freedom to define themselves. Four, arguing that someone's beliefs or behaviors are wrong diminishes them. Five, the Bible's just another religious text written by humans. Six, people should be free to live as they see fit as long as they don't harm anyone. And seven, if there is a God, he's loving and couldn't possibly send people to hell. And these beliefs are held by many of our friends, and they are incompatible with some claim of the gospel. And as a result, they are uh, keeping people unimpressed and making them not want to become followers of Christ. And so uh, we want to be able to talk to our friends about these beliefs and uh, challenge them and hopefully kind of weaken their defeater belief, the commitment they have to their defeater belief a bit so that their hearts will open up to the gospel. If you miss any of the sermons, you can catch them online at clearwater.church. You can download the Clearwater Church app and take them with you on the go. And today we're looking at this third belief. People must have the freedom to define themselves. Freedom. It is a core American value. Very important to us. Many have died so that we might be free. In the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, we hold freedom dear. Of course, the question is, how do you define freedom? Well, today, our society defines freedom in part as the ability to define yourself. You need to have the freedom to answer for yourself the question, who am I? No one else should have uh, any ability to answer that question for you. You have the right to answer that for yourself. And uh, this is what many of our friends think, the majority of Americans think. And as a result, uh, they are unimpressed with Christians because they believe that we are seeking to limit people's freedom. Now, this is played out uh, most uh, evidently in the areas of sexual identity and orientation. And so many of our friends say, listen, in order to be free, you need the ability to decide for yourself your gender. Uh, gender, by the way, it, it describes what you, uh, how you think of yourself. Uh, your biological sex is that which God has imprinted on your bio body. But um, the majority of Americans, even our uh, straight Americans, say, listen, if you're born in a male body, but you think of yourself 
as a female, then you need to have the freedom to uh, live out of whatever you decide to be true about yourself. Uh, that's sexual identity. Sexual orientation, you need the freedom to love the people you want to love. You need to be able to have the freedom to follow your heart. And so now this has become a, an issue of freedom, a, a right, even a human right, which is why the majority of Americans are um, very down on Christians because they think that we are trying to limit people's freedom. The majority of Americans are now uh, in favor of the LGBTQ plus causes. Uh, if you don't know, that's an acronym for lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender, queer, or questioning, and the plus is other um, letters that sometimes get attached. Uh, and so this, this is the reality that a lot of our friends are saying, I don't want to be a Christian because you Christians are trying to impose your worldview on the rest of us. You're trying to limit people's freedom, and that's not okay. That is oppressive. That's tyrannical. Sometimes it's mean-spirited and even bigoted. I don't want to have anything, uh, any part of that. So I'm not interested in being a Christian. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I read an article by Albert Moeller, Jr., president of the largest Southern Baptist seminary in the country. And he was trying to, the article was an attempt to understand why it is that the, the membership in the Southern Baptist denomination, largest denomination in the entire country, is actually less today than it was 30 years ago. For the first time ever, membership is, is shrinking, even when population is increasing. So he's trying to understand this. And one of the uh, reasons he gives, he says, look, every study is telling us that the millennials want nothing to do with organizations that are not fully committed to the LGBTQ plus uh, agenda. And here's what he writes. We have to acknowledge the hard fact that rates of identification with and membership in evangelical congregations is likely to fall even further. We're told constantly that millennials will not identify with groups that will not fully embrace LGBTQ plus causes. If so, biblically committed churches and denominations will decline in membership, social standing, and influence. That is just a fact. Southern Baptist churches do not have the option of theological liberalism. He goes on, goes on to talk about how in the past, when you joined an evangelical church, your social stock went up. People viewed you as trustworthy, a God-fearer. And he says that has changed. And now, when you join an evangelical church, your uh, social standing might, in fact, go down. And that's a big obstacle to people wanting to be part of evangelical churches. It's a big obstacle to people wanting to be Christians. Here's what he says. We have to recognize that Southern Baptist church trends looked great when our neighbors gained social capital by joining our churches. They gained social status and trust within the community by joining the First Baptist Church or another evangelical congregation. That is no longer the case. Underline this. Now, given secularization and the sexual and moral revolutions utterly reshaping our culture, our neighbors may well lose social capital by joining our churches. Anne Hathaway, the actress, I think summarizes well uh, the thinking of many on this topic. She, write, uh, she said once, 
There are people who've said that I'm being brave for being openly supportive of gay marriage, gay adoption. With all due respect, I humbly dissent. I'm not being brave. I'm a decent human being. And so there's the idea. Decent human beings support the LGBTQ plus agenda, and anyone who opposes it is not a decent human being. And so one of the reasons our friends are not becoming Christians, and one of the reasons they're unimpressed is because they associate Christians uh, with anti-homosexuality, with uh, an an oppressive, limiting mindset, and they don't want to them that's ugly, unattractive, and they don't want to be a part of it. And we know this, right? We know this. So, what do we do? How do we respond? Is there anything uh, we can do that can help uh, soften our friends' stances? Well, first off, let me say what we can't do. What we can't do is change the gospel to fit the times. And that's tempting. And a lot of churches are doing it. I've personally been in multiple churches that are flying the rainbow flag that say... Uh, there, is, there is no uh, incongruity between Christianity and transgenderism or homosexuality. God's perfectly fine with all of that. And so we are tolerant and we're accepting and come. Uh, be with us and you don't need to change in any way. <clears throat> Christopher Yuan, who is now a professor of New Testament at Moody Bible Institute, prior to becoming a Christian... He was uh, actively involved in the uh, homosexual community, and he was also a drug dealer. He got uh, caught dealing drugs and was put in prison, and while he was in prison, he began to read the Bible, and he became a Christian. But as he was reading the Bible in prison, uh, he became increasingly convicted about his homosexuality, Uh, about the fact that he thought of himself first and foremost foremost, as a gay man. And he said, this seems to be incompatible with what I'm reading in the Bible. And he was conflicted. So he went to the prison chaplain, and he confessed the tension in his heart. And the chaplain told him, actually, uh, you shouldn't have tension in your heart because there's no problem. Let me read uh, what he says in his book, Out of a Far Country. He said, I'd gone to a chaplain and opened up to him. I'd shared with him my past, living as a gay man, and now living with HIV. I'd been nervous about how the chaplain would respond. Fortunately, he'd been very gracious and listened to me with compassion. Then he said something that totally surprised me. Actually, the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. He walked over to a bookshelf. Here's a book that explains this view in more detail. He handed me the book, and I took it in the hope of finding biblical justification for homosexuality. I sat in the chapel's small courtyard to read with the chaplain's book in one hand and my Bible in the other. I had every reason in the world to accept the book's assertion that God was okay with my homosexuality and gay identity. If I could be a Christian and have a steady relationship with a man, that would just be about ideal. I'd go to church with him, maybe even start a family. It would be such a relief if this could all be reconciled. But as I started reading the book and reading the Bible passages it referred to, God's Holy Spirit convicted me that the assertions from that book 
were a distortion of God's truth. Reading his word, I couldn't deny his unmistakable condemnations of homosexual sex. I wasn't even able to get through the first chapter of the book. I gave it back to the chaplain. After that, I turned to the Bible alone and went through every verse, every chapter, every page of Scripture, looking for biblical justification for homosexuality. I couldn't find any. I was at a turning point, and a decision had to be made. Either abandon God to live as a homosexual by allowing my feelings and sexual passions to dictate who I was, or abandon homosexuality by liberating myself from my feelings and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. My decision was obvious. I chose God. Listen, the Bible is very clear on this topic. And I, I, was just gonna, I want to read from Romans chapter 1 where this is explained in unmistakable terms. And I'm not going to spend much time uh, explaining it. I just want to read it and then we'll, we'll go on. Romans chapter 1. Uh, but this is, you might want to write this down uh, for, for future study yourself. Romans chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Isn't that interesting? The truth can be suppressed. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So you can look at creation and recognize there's a God. So they are without excuse. And they there include you and me. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So our thinking can be corrupted. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They became idolaters. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, why? Because they were secular. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with men and receiving him with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Any question what that's talking about? 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Secularism leads to a debased mind, which leads to dishonorable behavior. And then goes on and lists not just sexual perversity. He says they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And here's the key. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. In other words, although they know what the Bible teaches, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's where our society is today. God has said that is sexual perversity, that is uh, distortion of identity, and not only do we do it as a society, we applaud it, and we say it's the good and right thing to do. And those of you who are trying to uphold God's truth in the world, shame on you, you're trying to limit our freedom, you're mean-spirited. And that's where we are. And so, look, the temptation, the temptation is to be approved by society. We don't like the backlash. We don't like being called names. We don't like being excluded. And so the temptation is to just change the gospel to fit the times or at least be silent. Let's just not talk about it. Because we know, we know that when we talk about it, and listen, I, I face this fear as a, as, a, as a pastor. You get up and talk about a topic like this. All the studies are saying the millennials won't have anything to do with you. What's the risk? The risk is you lose people. But Paul said, I, I did not shy away from uh, proclaiming to the whole counsel of God. That's our responsibility as a church. Is that we, have to, we can't just teach pieces and parts that are popular. Because that is a distortion. You have to proclaim the whole counsel of God and let the Spirit of God uh, do His work. All right. Well, what might we say? I want to give you three talking points uh, with your friends. Now, these aren't killer arguments that's going to you know, win the day. But hopefully, this will cause them to think and may, maybe soften their commitment to the defeater belief so that they can be more open to the gospel. The first thing I'd probably point out is this. I'd say, listen, where you and I differ, it's not actually on our view of gays, but on who has the right to tell anyone what to do. And I would insist with my uh, unbelieving friend, I'd say, listen, don't, don't fool yourself into thinking that you uh, value gay people more than I do. That's not true. I want gay people to uh, ha- not be mistreated. I don't want them to be marginalized. I don't want them to be persecuted. I want them to find happiness. I want them to find love as God intends it. Right? I want to be their friend. I don't want to give up on them. No, you don't value gay people more than I do. What we disagree on is who has the authority to tell people what to do. And so here are the three uh, questions you you might want to ask, talking points. Number one, hey, let me ask you this. If there is a God, should he have the right to decide anything for us? And if so, how can we know his decision? Now, your friend might say, I don't believe there's a God. Just humor me, humor me. If there were a God, does he have the right to tell us what to do? And I don't know who's going to say no. They'll probably say, all right, if there's a God... And he created me, sure. I guess he can, you know, he can decide some things. Are there limits to that? Well, I don't know. If he created us, then he probably can tell us what to do. But I don't believe there's a God. 
All right, but if there is a God and he, and he has, you know, he decides some things about us, how, how do you think we might know that? Where might we uh, see that? How, how could we find out his decisions? And as it relates to uh, the issue of sexual identity, I would point out, doesn't it make sense that God might stamp his choice on our very bodies? Which is what Genesis 1.27 says, right? In the image of God, he created them male and female. And so God, you know, the Bible is clear. One of the things that God, God gives us tremendous sovereignty over our lives, but not total sovereignty. As our creator, uh, some things he decides for us. And one of those things is our sex. And he stamps our sex on our body. And so when we come out, we come out male or female. And that is the choice of God for us. And we are happiest and healthiest when we live in harmony with God's choice. Now, as it, res as it relates to um, sexual activity, everybody agrees that we need some boundaries, right? We're not supposed to be raping people and infidelity is bad and we shouldn't chase children or animals. Uh, we need some boundaries. So who, who decides uh, what the healthy boundaries are? Do we just decide based on our desires? Does society decide? Or what we Christians would say is the creator has given us his boundaries for healthy sexuality and they're in his word which he has lovingly revealed to us and preserved for us throughout history. And the biblical teaching on sexuality or sexual activity is very simple. You can actually memorize this. Here, is, here are God's boundaries uh, on sex. If you want to have it, get married to somebody of the opposite sex. Otherwise, remain celibate. It's not, you could almost repeat that. <laughs> if you want to have it, you get married to somebody of the opposite sex. Otherwise, you remain celibate. That, those are God's boundaries around sex. All right, uh, second talking point. You might want to ask your friend this. Let me ask you this. Do people only desire good things? And if not, how do we decide what's good and what's bad for us? And I think any fair-minded person would have to admit, no, we don't just desire good things. We often want to uh, eat too much or drink too much, or sleep too long, or we want to dominate people, and we have all kinds of desires that we recognize are unhealthy, right? And that we shouldn't feed those desires because they take us bad places. Well, that's the case with our sexuality. And who gets to decide what's good for us or bad for us? Uh, you know, the Bible says we're foolish if, we're the one, if we refuse to learn from anyone, and we're like, I'm not going to believe it until I've experienced the consequences myself. That's foolishness. Uh, do we just let society decide that? Well, so societies have had differing opinions about the boundaries throughout uh, history. Or do we let God tell us what's good for us and bad for us? Well, as Christians, that makes a heck of a lot of sense because he's the creator and he knows what's good for us individually and good for us uh, collectively. Third talking point, you might ask this, hey, listen, when we see our friends making bad decisions, what's the loving response? 
Is the loving response to say, I know what they're doing is going to lead to really bad things for them, but hey, I just want to be a supportive friend. So I'm going to actually applaud their behavior so that I'm supportive and in their camp. Well, that doesn't seem loving, does it? Well, but maybe you say, well, I'll just be silent. I won't support it, but I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to be contrarian. If you really believe that what they're doing is going to hurt them, that's not the loving thing either. The loving thing is to warn them. And you say, hey, listen, no matter what you choose to do, I am still your friend. I love you. I'm with you. But I got to warn you, what you're doing is it's going to take you bad places. And I don't want that for you. And, and what's the point of that? The point of that is to tell your, your unbelieving friend, listen, we're not mean-spirited, but based on our understanding of the world, rooted in the, the Word of God, we believe that uh, people are hurting themselves when they are uh, living out of step with the sex God gave them or, or when they are engaging in homosexual activity. That's not good for them. It's not good for society. And it's not right in the eyes of God. And so, out of love, we seek to warn. Now, again, I, I, these aren't you know, killer arguments, but hopefully they'll get people thinking and uh, weaken their commitment to the defeater belief and open their heart to the gospel. I have eight practical takeaways. Number one. Accept that God chooses your sex and seek to live in harmony with his choice. Uh, if you're struggling with uh, sexual identity issues, uh, you, you're struggling with seeing yourself uh, as the gender that God gave you, well, what do you do with that? Do your best to live in harmony. Number one, you look at your body and you say, God, this is your choice for me. I'm going to submit to that, and I'm going to do my best to live in harmony with that. And, you know, very practically, do things like dress accordingly. If you're a man, dress like a man. Talk like a man. Do manly things. And why? It's not because they're inherently right and godly, but it will reinforce to you, and people will give you that feedback loop. Uh, and it will help, help you live in harmony with the sex God has given you. Number two, honor the boundaries God places upon sexual activity. Honor those boundaries. And those boundaries are pretty simple, right? You either get married to somebody of the opposite sex or you remain celibate. Now, that's not easy to do. That requires massive self-control. Uh, but when you strive for that, uh, and you suffer towards that end. That honors the Lord and he will bless you. Number three, be suspicious of your sexual desires. They might be corrupted. Subject your desires to the test of scripture and only feed good desires. Listen, we all have a sin nature that is drawn toward evil. Our because of that, we can't just say if I desire it, it's good for me. Be suspicious of your desires because you and I both desire things that are bad and are evil in the eyes of the Lord. And you don't feed the evil desire. You starve the evil desire. You feed the good desires. And how do you know? You subject them to Scripture. And God tells us in Scripture what desires are good for us and will lead to 
uh, life to the full and which ones won't. And, and listen, I have had the desire to be selfish and uh, dominate other people and all kinds of other wicked desires since the time I can remember. And so, you know, you might say to yourself, uh, as I've, I've heard it say, hey, I was born this way, right? Uh, uh, I have been attracted to people of my same sex since I was a kid. You know, God made me that way. God doesn't make mistakes. That's, that's not good thinking. Um, you, you, we all have uh, bents toward things that are wrong in the eyes of God. And based on scripture, we say, okay, that's wrong. And I'm not going to go there. And this is part of what Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, and so we have to, we have to um, kind of arrest ourselves and say, I'm not going there. Because I'll listen. You start going down uh, a, a sinful track, and your desires will become increasingly perverse. That's just the way it works. And all of a sudden, you'll find yourself desiring things that, are, uh, that you're surprised you're desiring, that you didn't used to desire because you've been feeding that. Okay, number four, don't be fooled by claims the Bible does not condemn homosexual activity. You'll encounter it in books. You'll encounter it uh, all over the place. Hey, uh, God's perfectly okay with uh, transgenderism and homosexual activity. Uh, that's not good. That's not based on a correct biblical uh, study. Number five: Do not lend support to LGBTQ plus causes. Why do I say that? Because uh, in your workplaces, in your schools, uh, you will most likely be invited to lend support to such causes. You might be pressured to do so, and and to say. Uh, and you might be put into a position where it's not even, you can't even back out easily. But it's, this is wickedness in the eyes of the Lord, and Christian people cannot support it. God, God will not be happy with that. Number six, when affirming the truth about sexual identity and sexual orientation would be helpful, do not be silent. We don't have to always talk on this topic, right? You don't have to, you don't have to weigh in every time uh, it it uh, presents itself, but when prompted by the Spirit, when you know that it would be helpful to speak the truth, you need to resist the temptation to be silenced and speak. But following directly on this, number seven, when speaking about sexual identity and sexual orientation, do so with gentleness and respect, as our Bible verse says, and make sure your motivation is love. You're truly desiring to help people, not so that you can win an argument or impose your way on others. The fact of the matter is, there are a lot of people who are mean-spirited and are bigoted who uh, oppose homosexuals in the name of Christ and do it in a very unchristian way. We don't want to be those people. And then finally... Focus, number eight, focus on connecting people with Jesus, not on changing their behavior, recognizing that behavior change flows out of heart change. John 15, 5, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. The issue is always our relationship with Jesus Christ. So if we focus on behavior change, 
that, that we're misguided. We need to focus on uh, connecting people with Jesus Christ, and, and then the Spirit of God will begin to change their behavior over time. So in conclusion, let me say this. Look, this many people, there are certainly people here struggling with uh, sexual identity, uh, struggling with same-sex attraction, and good news for you. I came across many stories in preparing this message of Christian people who were honoring the Lord by not engaging in homosexual activity. But they said this, God has not yet changed my desires. I'm, when I'm tempted to be sexually immoral, I'm tempted by somebody of the same sex. But I'm not acting upon that because of God's instructions about sexuality. That's the case with uh, Christopher Yuan. And uh, it's the case with Rebecca. We believe, and she's talking about her, herself and her, her friend, we believe that God could change our instincts, but we have no promise that he will because blue blood heterosexuality is not the goal of the Christian life. Jesus is. So, very practically, you pray and you ask the Lord to reorient your desires and, um, and your attractions. Go for it. The Bible doesn't say that he'll necessarily that God will necessarily do that. Uh, but you can make a choice to act in line with the word of God. You can choose not to act in a sexually immoral way. And you know what? I think that there are a lot of Christians who beat themselves up because they have a, a desire that, to sin. But listen, heterosexuals desire to sin, Right? We desire to be sexually immoral as well. As, and there are many other uh, desires that we have. And you know what? Don't beat yourself up about that, uh, that desire. Just choose not to sin. And then pray that the Lord would alter your desires, and he might or, or, or might not. He will in eternity when sins the brokenness of sin gets removed from our our world and uh, the sin nature is gone come quickly lord jesus amen amen all right um four ways that i think we can respond in prayer so if you don't mind uh, closing your eyes and bowing your head and four ways you might respond in prayer this morning i'll read these and then you just choose the one that uh, resonates with you and pray this up to the Lord. Number one, you might want to ask God to raise up gifted spokespersons in the public square to speak truth on this topic. Number two, you might ask God to help you as you talk with your friends. Number three, you might tell the Lord, I accept your sovereignty in my life. I accept your choice for my sex and I'm going to abide according to your sexual boundaries. Number four, you might ask the Lord to help you live with sexual purity and to make choices that honor him. Take some time with the Lord.
Your word, O Lord, is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Apart from it, we would be stumbling around in the darkness. We thank you. We submit to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.